Well, the miracles of Jesus are um, well known and um, a sort of a matter of fact with us believing Christians. But what is the significance of these miracles to our lives today? I wonder how many people here actually believe in miracles. I do. I wonder, in addition to those recorded in the scripture, there are those which come as a result of prayer, albeit often revealed in hindsight. I am reminded of the oft-quoted Archbishop William Temple, who commenting on the effectiveness of prayer said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. I've got a second cousin who is a professional musician. His name is Mark Shortland. You can look him up if you want to. He uh, operates mostly on cruise liners, uh, cruise ships and so on. However, his tricks are not really magic. They are just clever illusions. Looking back at our Old Testament reading, what has this got to do with miracles? In our reading of 1 Kings 17, we have the prophet Elijah warning that there would be a drought for the next two or three years. The Lord commanded Elijah to go to a town near Sidon where he would meet a widow who would feed him. He finds her gathering firewood, an everyday occurrence. Elijah asks her for a drink and some bread too. But oh dear, it's in the middle of a drought. The poor woman hasn't got enough of the ingredients to make bread. Elijah tells her what to do, and to do it, how to do it, complete with ingredients, quoting the Lord God of Israel with, the bowl will not run out of flour, or the jar run out of oil before the day that I send the rain. The woman did as Elijah had told her, and as the Lord has promised, the ingredients and food did not run out, So here we have obedience to our Lord being rewarded with enough for their requirements. William Barclay suggests that the first miracle of Jesus is a simple story anyone can understand and retell. But there is also a wealth of deeper meaning for those who have the eagerness to search and the eye to see and the mind to understand. This will take several days to study according to William Barclay. I doubt that we can do justice to this in the short time we have here. As Edward would say, there's your homework. Throughout the life of Jesus, he performed many awe-inspiring miracles, but none were as important as the very first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine. Several of Scripture's greatest themes are echoed in Jesus' first miracle. Jesus didn't do anything by chance, and that's why this story is important. Every aspect of his life had purpose and meaning. Bible scholar Donald Guthrie describes the various miracles recorded in John's Gospel as signs. They are all interpreted as manifestations of Christ's glory. As John would say, There, Jesus revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This miracle is the first of several signs. 
and according to John, are all written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. David Pawson writes that Jesus didn't come to upset social life. He was no killjoy and would enjoy a party and a drop of wine. While John the Baptist, according to scripture, never consumed wine at all. It seems that Jesus loved to share in the happy rejoicing of a wedding. Today, John the Baptist would be known as teetotal. But different people, some people are, some people aren't. It isn't explicitly stated in John's account of the event why Jesus transforms water into wine. Jesus did what he did quietly and didn't explain his motives. Today we'll attempt to look a little at the deeper meaning of Jesus' turning water into wine. So, what happened? During his ministry, he performed over 40 miracles, including healing the sick, changing nature and raising the dead. Generally, a miracle refers to an event that happens outside the realm of natural law. When Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding, it is considered to be one of the most memorable miracles because it was his first public miracle. This led Jesus from being a simple carpenter in Nazareth to taking his first step towards becoming the Messiah. Even though it was an act of the supernatural, it was more important because of the message it contained. William Barclay, you can see that I, I like William Barclay, he suggests that Mary had something to do with the wedding arrangements and held a special place at the meal. At the wedding meal, Mary turned to Jesus and informed him that the wine had run out. Oh dear. Well, at first, Jesus seemed a little bit irritated by his mother's comment and wanted to ignore the problem, even saying, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. He certainly didn't pop out to the local co-op for supplies. Perhaps he thought that any instructions should only be obeyed when they were from his heavenly father. He saw his life not in terms of his wishes, but in terms of God's purpose for him. But after more prompting from Mary, Jesus noticed six large stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing, each holding between 20 30 gallons of water. The fact that John explains the connection of the stone jars with the Jewish purification rites suggests that a symbolic meaning may be intended. After all, in Jewish terms, seven was an ideal number, but six was incomplete. Jesus then instructed the servants to fill the jugs with water and take them to the wedding host. The total quantity of water, when all the jars were filled, would have been up to 100 gallons, or over 100 gallons, enough for, we're told, 2,400 half-pint glasses. It is not stated whether the water was changed to wine, all the water was changed to wine, or just that which was run off from the, the water jars. As the host sipped from the water pots, he realised that the water had become wine. Although he was unaware that the miracle had taken place, 
The servants who drew the water knew that it was new wine, conjured by Jesus. Donald Guthrie suggests that the unexpected quality of the wine may indicate the superiority of the messianic, messianic provision over the previous provision. With the manifestation of the glory of Jesus and the development of faith in the disciples. So we read from John, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine and said, Everyone brings out the best wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have plenty to drink. But you've saved the best until now. What did Jesus here did what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. This was just the start of his glorious ministry that Jesus would carry through the rest of his short life. This first miracle teaches us a valuable lesson. Jesus can provide for our needs. We may not always get what we want. But when we turn to the Lord, our needs are met so we can pursue a deeper relationship with him. We should learn to pay less attention to, our, to the wine and instead focus on the winemaker. Due to their concentration on the wine, the guests of the wedding never learned about the winemaker. Focusing on the wrong things is something many of us do. We'll focus maybe on a new smartphone a fancy new car or a bigger house. Whatever is in your mind, don't let it take your focus from the Lord. The change from water into wine demonstrates Jesus' powers over all things down to the atomic level. Without the Creator's authority, nothing can change. Miracles, signs and phenomenons aren't all that God wants us to believe in. To know him, we must believe in him and not just know about him. We should share that belief with others. Rather than us having our fill of wine, money or any other physical things on this earth, his plan is to show his love to us. Our lives are blessed when we trust God and hear him. And he responds by blessing us in return. Studying the, uh, this first miracle, um, miracle of Jesus, should give, us, give rise to a deeper spiritual meaning. In the gospel, wine is viewed as a symbol of happiness, and we all know that a wedding is one of the happiest occasions of our lives. Although Jesus' lessons were incredibly powerful that day, another message remains relevant. We need to avoid focusing on outside life that looks clean and shiny and start looking inside instead. During the wedding feast, none of the guests helped make the wine. Nobody picked up the grapes or trampled on them. No one strained them out. In the end, they simply relied on the future Messiah to provide them without even realising it. In today's world, the same applies. Our expectation is that God will provide for us without us having to do anything in return. Despite our abuse of his gift, Jesus still gives. 
as soon as you take it in, you'll be clean in the only way that matters, spiritually. By the way, great wine takes a long time to ferment. It's no surprise that the first miracle Jesus performs takes place at a wedding, one of God's favorite symbols for the covenant he's made with his people. Jesus Christ lived a life full of service and generosity from that day forth, and the world was forever changed. I invite you to read the passage again and equip yourselves with study aids. God bless you. It's over to you. So we sing our 